Hi, I'm Elena Pullen-Venema, Director of Gift Planning at the Community Foundation of Snohomish County, and this is Looking Forward, Giving Back. This podcast is a place for professional advisors, financial managers, attorneys, accountants, and other client-centered advisors to obtain key resources, tools, and information about charitable options that can help you meet your clients' estate, financial, charitable, and tax savings goals, while also increasing diverse and equitable philanthropy in our community. You'll hear from other advisors, clients, and experts in the field of estate, financial, and charitable planning. You'll hear personal stories about the what, why, and how clients give, and how their advisors are helping them make the most of that giving. I look forward to sharing all of this and more with you in the episodes to come. Remember, for more information, you can always visit our website at www.cf-sc.org forward slash plan for free resources for advisors and their clients. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward Giving Back. Today, we have Brian George with us as our guest. Brian is the managing director and founder of the group, the Charitable Advisors Network. They're located in Bremerton, Washington. Welcome, Brian. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. So I, when we first met, when we first were introduced, I guess it was, it was this summer at, at some point, you, I was so interested to hear about your Charitable Advisors Network. The more I learn about other advisors, other, um, other industry groups, who have the same interests, who have the same focus in terms of that legacy, that, that really talking actively with clients and their advisors about legacy, about charitable giving, about estate planning, and how they really they all complement each other. Um, I was really excited to learn about your group. So if you could, do you want, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about the Charitable Advisors Network group uh, and just how you help clients with their charitable legacy and estate planning goals. You, as you mentioned to me, you do some business continuity planning and you provide security and advisor services through World Equity Group. I would love to hear about that um, and as well, obviously, as your specific area of expertise and interest. Okay. Um, Charitable Advisors Network, we focus on planning, specifically charitable planning, not surprising because of the name, uh, cash flow planning and tax deferral planning. Um, we, uh, we try to partner with other trusted advisors, the financial advisors, the investment advisors, the CPAs, the estate planning attorneys, and, and we try to assist them in introducing the concept of plan giving to their, to their clients. Um, for the purpose of this discussion, though, I'll, I'll stick with the charitable planning. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so in terms of your work with advisors, tell, can you tell me a little bit more about that in terms of, of you know, sort of educating them, providing them with resources to have the ability to talk with their clients uh, more in depth about, about charitable planning. So I, I, I ask all the advice, everyone I talk to basically, um, if they've done any charitable planning, if they've given to charities and and advisors sometimes ask me why, why would they want to do that, mm-hmm. and ask their clients that, and and I tell them why I do it. One, it, it makes me happy. Right. It, yeah. Because everybody wins in the situation, so the charity wins because they get more money to fulfill their mission. The donor wins 
because for whatever their motivation, whether it's altruism or just they want a tax break, they're happy, but the charity still gets the money no matter what the motivation is. Um, the advisor should be happy because the advisor has, has moved themselves up a bit as a trusted advisor. They've become more important to that client because they're helping them build their legacy. Um, makes my wife happy that I'm, <laughs> I'm doing good stuff, which of course makes me happy. Oh, that's wonderful. It's definitely a team effort. And I love, I love the, the use of the term trusted advisor because that's what it's all about. We, you know, whether you're in, whether you're a financial advisor, whether you're an accountant, whether you're uh, an attorney, whether you're a plan giving person like myself, that you're, you have some role in that, in that, that creating and, and maintaining that trust with the individual, whether it's a client or whether, it, whether it's a donor. And I know I use the term trusted advisor. That's, that's our goal. That's my goal as the director of gift planning at the Community Foundation of Snohomish County is to position ourselves and everybody we work with as trusted advisors to clients and donors. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited that somebody else besides me is using that term. <laughs> that's exactly where everybody wants to be with their clients. Right. That's that's the trusted advisor. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think in, in the, you know, our industry and in, in the financial services industry and in the, the, the charitable industry as well, that being able to not only be the trusted advisor for that specific client, for that specific donor, but also to be so trusted that their family start trusting you. Well, there's, there is no better compliment. Um, but I, I had a client bring in her mother and her grown children. Mm -hmm. I want you to manage money for my mom and, and manage the money for my kids. Cause they're just starting out. Right. And, and uh, not, not ashamed to say that I got kind of emotional there because not only was she trusting me with her money and her kids inheritance, she was also going to trust me with, um, her mom's life savings and her inheritance and, and her children's future wealth. So that is the best um, compliment I could ever receive. Wonderful. Oh, that's, that's great. And they're, they're obviously lucky to have you. Um, that's so neat. Thank you. Can you. So in terms of, so, you know, talking about, about clients and talking, you know, we, we, are in agreement and, and you know, many people are in agreement that having this conversation about charitable planning is critical to developing long-term relationships, to becoming a, a trusted advisor from the advisor's point of view. And at the end of the day, doing what's right for your clients and their family. Can you, but can you tell us, go, maybe we can dig a little bit deeper in terms of kind of the why. Um, why you know, the, the why and the how do they actually do it? And so, Maybe a story or two of examples where a client has found, you know, creative ways to, so I mean, when I say creative, I mean, sort of beyond just sort of writing the check um, to incorporate her or his charitable goals into their overall estate plan. So maybe some more, you know, non-cash, more complicated gift. Um, do you have a, an example that you might be able to share? Yeah, I can do that. Um, so, so the why varies for different people. Um, and an early case, the person just wanted the tax break because his CPA told him that um, he can get a tax break. But but once he started doing it, he realized that there were organizations that 
were important to him that he wanted to support. So now he does it for a totally different reason. Um, he just donated some appreciated stock because he wanted to sell the stock and then give the money to the charity. And I said that $50,000 you want to donate is probably going to cost you closer to 70000 after paying the commission to sell and the capital gains tax on, on what you've earned on that. So just give it directly to the charity and uh, it will just cost you $50,000. Right? And your CPA will be happy because he'll, you know, still get the, uh, you'll still get the, the tax donation. Um, another case, um, client, he, he loves dogs and he likes to support dog shelters. And he was, he was thinking of setting up his own foundation for dog shelters, but um, to quote him, that's too much like work. <laughs> um, and, and he wanted to give like half a million dollars, but he didn't want to give it to him all at once. Right. So I, I recommended a donor advised fund. Okay. He, could, he could put the lump sum in there and then he could designate what organizations he wanted to go to and how often he wanted money distributed. And then it was all done automatically for him. So he was pretty happy about that. Um, a little different case, uh, elderly woman who wanted to leave money to her church. She wanted to give money to her church now, leave some when she died. Okay. But what was stopping her was she also didn't want to shortchange her kids and grandkids and great grandkids. Um, so the solution that we came up with was, uh, we, we call it a wealth replacement trust. It's a combination of a charitable remainder trust, an irrevocable life insurance trust and a life insurance policy where she donated some land that she had that was worth about $5 million that she wasn't doing anything with to the charitable remainder trust the CRT sold the land, um, and and so now this cash is sitting in the trust, and it's the entire five mil. It's not the net after capital gains. So the income that she got off of the five mil um, was returned to her at a, at a rate of five percent a year. The <clears throat> the extra income from the money she would have paid in capital gains, the IRS's money. Um, she used that to fund the irrevocable life insurance trust, which bought a life insurance policy where the death benefit was $5 million. That's brilliant. And, and part, That's of the, great. part of the income that she was, that, that she's going to be receiving, um, she's also donating to the church now because she doesn't need all of it. Yeah. So she gets to donate now. The remainder in the trust when she passes goes to the church. And the $5 million that she donated into the CRT has been replaced by the $5 million death benefit from the life insurance policy. So she got to solve all her problems. And uh, she, she likes me a little more now. She, <laughs> I bet she likes you more than a little more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, and you know what? That I think that's so interesting because that's one of the things. So I started my career as sort of your stereotypical development director. So, you know, doing, you know, doing events, creating major donor programs, meeting, you know, meeting with donors, collecting, you know, most of most of the of the donations were people writing checks. And so then and then I went to business school 
and got my MBA in finance and started to learn more and more about these these non-cash gifts. So specifically, I'm thinking in particular of uh, using life insurance policies and um, and, and then charitable remainder trusts in terms of, of sort of income generating gifts. And I think that's so important because I think so many donors and so many clients, so many individuals have never heard of these types of tools. And so be, so being able to, to, to not only to educate clients about that, but also to educate your fellow advisors about how to, how to offer those, those options is just, is, is critical. Do you know, Brian, in terms of, so when you, when you think back on, or maybe just look at sort of the last couple of years of your clients, who, who you have been talking to and helping them find creative strategies about, um, in terms of how to, how to meet their charitable giving goals. And specifically, I'm thinking of, of charitable remainder trusts. So how, you know, is, is that something that, that you bring up often in terms of, you know, well, charitable remainder trusts or any income generating gift? Um, income generating for the, for the donor or their heirs. Um, how often do you work that into the conversation? Is that kind of a rare occurrence or, or, or is that kind of a regular occurrence for you? Um, it usually comes up because I ask everyone um, if, if they have given to charity before. And, and sometimes the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And then I ask, is that because you don't want to or you just don't think you can right now. Um, and then, and some people say, I never give to charity, I don't want to. And mm-hmm. some people say, I can't now because I don't have enough, right? And then we talk about non-cash giving. And then we talk about um, illiquid assets that you can donate. Um, there, there's a, <laughs> I was meeting with a couple and the, uh, The person said, I, I never give to charity. I, uh, I put both my kids through college and they're very successful. So that's, that was my contribution to society. Right? They're, they're, they're making a lot of money and paying good taxes. Right? And I said, have you ever thought about giving to charity? Well, yes, I have. I've, I've thought about, <clears throat> excuse me, giving to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Okay, yeah. And I says, okay, you, you care about kids. You know, wh- what if you could do that? <clears throat> and this person also mentioned, I don't want, I don't, I don't like my money going to bombs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, the, the, the government gives you an opportunity to send less to the IRS. If, if you just got to give it to charity, you, you can't keep the money. Um, right. But the money that you give to charity, you don't have to send to the government. So, so that's usually how it comes up because I always ask, you know, have you ever thought about giving to charity? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, if, if you could give more now, would you? Um, yes, but I can't. Well, what if there was a way you could do both? Um, so the charitable remainder trust comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the charitable lead trust comes up. And the, okay. the, only, the only difference is that with the charitable lead trust, the charity gets the income now and your heirs get the remainder later. Right, right. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a reverse charitable remainder trust yeah. in terms of who's getting the money when. Yes, and, and you can still use um, an insurance policy 
to to replace the gift that was originally given to to fund the donations for the charity. Mm-hmm. So so it works works great. You just have to ask the next question. The, right. In my right. experience, the the first no is just a reflex. Mm-hmm. Got to move beyond that. Oh, that's great. Well, and, and that's and that's so great that you're. You're not only are you taking it beyond the no, because I think a lot of advisors are hesitant to go beyond that no. And they say, you know, are you, have you given to charities in the past? No. And then they say, okay. And they move on to the next financial planning topic. But from what you're saying is that, I mean, it sounds to me like one of the reasons that you're so successful, Brian, and having this conversation with your clients is that you're really meeting them where they are. And so I know I, I, a number of advisors have said to me in the past that they one of the reasons that they're hesitant to bring up charitable giving with their clients, if you know it's not obvious that they're this client is very charitable, is that they don't want to impose their own values on their client. They don't want to have any undue influence um, on their client, which you know obviously that it's it's that's a that's a legitimate concern. But the way that you're doing it is. There's no undue influence. It's that you're not saying, well, I think you should give the charity. You're coming at, at them where they are. Um, and I love that. And, and I love I also love the the way that you that you just said that you approach the the discussion of taxes. And so, you know, and I and I've heard it said, and actually I, I the our the CPA, um, Jenny Keeney, that I interviewed um, a couple of episodes back, was talking about buckets. So there, there are, you know, the, that saying to her clients, okay, there are, there's basically three buckets that, that, that you have in terms of your estate, in terms of, of where the money's going to go. So it's either going to go to your heirs, it's going to go to charity, or it's going to go to the IRS. And so, you know, how much do you want to be in each bucket? How much needs to be in each bucket? And, and she's, and she has, you know, a, a number of advisors have a number of, or have clients who say, I want to give as little as possible out of my estate, pay as little as possible in taxes. And so again, meeting them where they're at saying, okay, here's an option. Like you said, the, the IRS gives you a fantastic opportunity to not give them more money than you need to by making significant donations to charity. Um, so that's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that in particular, you know, one one thing too, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about is the use of of life insurance policies. So I know that we, you know, we have the Community Foundation of Snohomish County. We have a couple of donors who have have used life insurance policies to fund uh, future donor advised and designated funds in term in terms of their estate planning. Um, that. Do you have do you have maybe another example of someone using um, a life insurance policy? Do you, do you do you do you work with clients a lot in that arena, or is there um, is that not necessarily something that you see on a regular basis? So it's something also that comes up in conversation when we talk about non cash giving, um, and it was probably uh, two thousand eleven. I was working with a small local organization here and and they got a check from someone who had worked with them years before. 
And, and this check amounted to 10% of a life insurance policy. Um, and they didn't know they were receiving this. It just came out of the blue. Okay. The person that moved out of state, they hadn't heard from them in, um, in 20 years, and they got this check. Uh, what made that so impactful was the check covered all their operating expenses for a year. Wow. And, and I thought, wow, it, it is unfortunate that this person died. But if more people knew that they could leave a small portion of their life insurance policy, 10% was set aside for this organization. Mm -hmm. the rest went to the family. So it wasn't really a big impact on the family. Right, yeah. It was a major impact on the organization. Um, so then I started investigating that. You can leave you know, the, the organization as a beneficiary you can actually donate the policy, give the policy to the organization and just continue paying the premiums um, and, and, and get the, the tax write-off because the premiums are right. paying. You, you give them the, the money as a donation, which is a write-off, and then they would use that to pay the premium. Um, so lots of ways to use insurance. If, if we're talking about non-cash giving, insurance always comes up in conversation. Interesting. Great. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, like I said, I, I, I love learning more and more about, about these, these more creative non-cash gifts. And two, I think it really expands people's definition of their ability of sort of who, who are, who are the philanthropists, who are, who are the people who are able to make significant gifts to charity. It's not just the 1%. It's, you know, quote, unquote, regular people. It's, you know, even if you don't have the immediate liquid assets to be writing a, you know, $3 million check, that there are, there are ways that you can provide significant impact. And, you know, a small percentage of whether it's a life insurance policy, whether it's the remainder of an estate can have a huge impact on a charity. Especially, I mean, I know that, you know, especially up in this neck of the woods and in Snohomish County, but throughout throughout the Pacific Northwest and throughout the country, there are so many smaller nonprofit organizations and community groups that are having such outsized impact, especially now. And I think, you know, we, we've seen the, the disproportionate impact that COVID has had on, on communities of color, on, on um, undocumented communities, on, on folks who are living paycheck to paycheck in every community. And nonprofits are really filling those gaps in such important ways. And, and even, you know, even a gift that somebody might consider small can really provide such, such impact. And you know, I'm paying a year's worth of operation is huge for a nonprofit. Yep. Um, and, and, and sometimes with these super small nonprofits, it's not as much as you would think <laughs> um, in terms of, of when you talk about sort of dollars and cents. Um, well, this, this was a small organization and, and the check was for less than 25 grand. Wow. So it wasn't a large well, there you go. Yeah. But it still paid all their operating costs um, for a year. And like I said, it, it was like a bolt of lightning that hit me. Yeah. And, and, and you talked about what's a miss a common misconception that the affluent people, the one percenters are the ones who um, give the most, right? So if you're talking about plan giving, not just a cash gift, mm -hmm. the majority of, of plan giving consists of bequests. 
um, something left in the estate, something left in a life insurance policy. And, and the overwhelming majority of bequests are, are done by middle-class people. And the reason for that is you've got a, a teacher and a fireman and they raise a couple of kids, they put them through college, they paid off their house, maybe they have a rental um, or two rentals that they paid those off. Um, they've given regularly you know, to their church or their favorite charity or both, but they haven't had a lot of disposable income to give really big gifts. But they made good decisions with their money and, and when they die, Maybe they've got a half a million or a couple of million in their estate and they say, we're going to leave, you know, five, 10% to this organization when we die, because we, you know, really believe in what they do. Um, those add up. And un unfortunately people die, but the reality is over 2000 people die every day in this country. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I know that when in discussions that, that that we have sort of with, with our community in terms of our work as a community foundation is that that's, that's one of the, the first myths that we have to bust, as they say, is that only the super rich are charitable. That that's the opposite of that is true. The absolute opposite. Um, and so it's, and, and that's the bulk of our donors, honestly, are, you know, the retired fireman, retired teacher, we, we nurses, um, you know, all sorts of folks um, have have partnered with the Community Foundation and, and with other charities in our community um, on varying levels. So, Brian, one thing, another, another sort of shift gears just a, just a little bit, but another thing that I would love to for our our listeners to 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 hear is in terms of recommending charitable, I guess, charitable vehicles, charitable um, options, um, resources to clients um, and to advisors to, to, to look into. So when do you, what, in terms of your recommendations to clients um, or in, in terms of your personal thoughts, when is it a good idea to recommend a place like a community foundation or another donor advised fund versus going directly to the charity? Because sometimes that's what makes the most sense. It's to not go through a donor advised fund, but to go directly to a charity. Depend again, depending on kind of what what the client's needs and goals are. And, and that's where the conversation starts. I mean, first, mm -hmm. I can say there's there's never a bad time to go to a community foundation because because they do good work. Um, people people want to if they can, you know, they want to see the results of their giving. Um, and, and usually it's in their community. And the community foundations are plugged in to all the organizations that are doing that kind of work in the community. Right. So if you have a specific goal for a specific organization, um, then it, it probably makes more sense to give it directly to that organization, especially if you've got a close connection with them. Right, right. Oh, definitely. Um, if, if you just want to have some impact, and you're not sure what to do because people say, yeah, I want to give the charity, but I don't know who to give to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, can you recommend some charity? I, well, I can't. I can't tell you who to give to. Right. Um, I can tell you that there are lots of organizations out there that are doing good work and 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 they all need money. And, and go to your go to your local community foundation. They've all got a Web page. 
And they've got a list of all the organizations they work with mm-hmm. from very small ones to large ones. Um, and, and those people usually wind up finding something um, on the Community Foundation's website that um, that they want to give to. I, I, I know a person here locally, the Kitsap County Community Foundation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, every year, they, they actually publish when they do their, their big annual fundraiser, they, they publish how many donations each organization got and how much they got. Interesting, um, okay. So, so there's a gentleman who goes through that list every year and, and the organizations, five organizations that got the fewest donations, he, he donates to those organizations. Yeah, that's, I, you know, and, and that's that providing that connection to. So, so being able to, you know, for Kitsap and for other community foundations to be able to, fi- to provide that connection. And who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe this gentleman never heard of these five nonprofits that are doing such great work. But now he does. Now he knows. Um, and he has that connection. So it's, again, kind of being that connector um, for organizations. Um, that is, you know, I think one of the neat parts of working for a community foundation um, in my personal experience. So you need to find that guy in Snohomish County. Yeah, right. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we have we have a number of like-minded souls up here in Snohomish County. So it's it's there. There are generous people everywhere, um, which always makes me happy um, to hear stories of of other communities with the same experience. Um, so here's another question. So we're talking about community. So. In your community, so as you as you define community, local, national, what are what's what's one thing that you see happening now, or in, let's let's just say over the past year that you're excited about, that you think this is this is this is a definite this is a good thing for our community. So I I think um, communication has gotten better, mm-hmm. um, and and part of that is because so many people were negatively impacted by COVID. Right. Um, that the word went out, we need help um, because there are more people that need help and, and we need your help to help these people because people, people will rise up and do what needs to be done when they learn that there's a need, mm-hmm. which, is, which is why the communication part is so important. Yeah, and again, getting back to kind of our, our earlier point of there are generous people everywhere and to be able to provide them with the tools and the, and the knowledge of what is the need in the community, they'll step up. They'll step up to meet those needs um, and then some <laughs> in a lot of circumstances. And, and the other impact of COVID was almost everyone's cash flow was impacted. Right. Um, businesses were we're making less. Um, Amazon did okay because people could order online, but local businesses weren't doing well at all. Um, so, but people still wanted to give. So, so knowing about the ways that you can give without cash became even more impactful. Exactly. Well, Brian, we're almost out of time. This has been wonderful. And I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. So thanks. So, you know, thank you for taking the, the half hour, 45 minutes that we've had this morning. 
couple last super last questions. So I want to hear more about your bass guitars. So tell us, tell us. Okay, so, so, so just so everybody is listening knows, the first time that Brian and I met, so over Zoom, he was sitting, and I don't know if you're sitting in the same room now, but you had this great collection of, uh, I don't know, was there just one guitar behind you? There was a picture of three. I, I have That's four. what it was. That's what it was. That's what it was. And I asked you about that. So I want to tell, tell everybody about kind of your thing with bass guitars and being a musician. Well, I, I play bass. Um, I'm no longer in a band, but I, I still play. Play with my, my kids sometimes or um, I have a four-string bass, a five-string bass, and a six-string bass. And then I, I have a little ukulele bass. Um, but if I'm going somewhere and I want to take the big one, but I still want to play, I'll mm -hmm. take that because I don't need an amplifier for that one. Um, I love I love playing bass. Um, How long have you been doing it for? Um, let me see. I think. I was 14 the first time I tried. So. Oh wow. I, I started off with clarinet, then sax, then trumpet, and then I picked up a bass at the age of 14, and that was it. It was all over. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, both of my kids are super into music. That my daughter in particular, she's a senior in high school, and she plays the trombone. And it was kind of the same. You know, she she tried out the flute for a while. You know, played around with other with a couple other instruments, but then she picked up a trombone. And it was her like jazz trombone is her thing now. And she's looking forward to playing in college. And so it's, yeah, that's great. Such I, even a gift. Up, I even wound up playing the bass um, steel drum from a steel drum band once. Nice. The, the guy didn't show up and I knew the owner and he said, you should come up and play with us. And I said, I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to play steel drums. Right. So I, ha I had a, a half hour crash course and, and then played three sets with them. Oh my god, a, I love it! Yeah, so I so I must be a bass player. So. That's awesome. That's so great. Okay, so next episode, or maybe a future episode, I think. So you know how is it NPR who does these mini desk concerts? They yes. have so they have they have musicians in their homes doing it like doing a concert. I think we need to do a mini desk concert. <laughs> looking forward, giving back. Right? How cool would that be? Yeah, <laughs> Brian George on the bass. <laughs> anyway so one last question so is there anything else that you'd like to add so specifically what would you say to other wealth advisors who are listening to this podcast as sort of parting words uh talk to your clients about this some will say no um some will appreciate you taking them in this direction and you may find out they're already doing it and you can introduce them to different ways of doing it that they didn't know about um, where they can be even more impactful in the ways that they want to be. Wonderful. Fantastic advice. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and for being on the podcast. I'm sure that we will have many, many conversations in the future. Um, but I know that that our listeners will will get so much out of listening to this conversation and just appreciate all you're doing for the community and for charitable giving in general. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's another episode of Looking Forward Giving Back. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
This podcast is sponsored by the Community Foundation of Snohomish County, a 501c3 registered nonprofit in the state of Washington. Check out our website at www.cf-sc.org forward slash plan. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on the podcast, let me know by emailing me at elena at cf-sc.org. Thanks to all the professional advisors out there for all you do for your clients and for our community to make it a better place right now and for generations to come. See you soon.